Thomas Edison, Richard Branson, John F. Kennedy, Mozart, Michael Jordan, Will Smith. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of vocations. Why is it that we rarely hear that they have or had ADHD? And you know what we hear even less about? Serena Williams, Emma Watson, Mel Robbins, Whoopi Goldberg, Agatha Christie, Aaron Brockovich, Cher. Yeah, the successful women navigating ADHD. And that's exactly why I started this podcast, ADHD for Smartass Women. I'm your host, Tracy Atsuka. I'm a lawyer, not a doctor, a lifelong student, now a coach. I'm also the creator of Your ADHD Brain is A-OK, a system that helps people like you figure out what they should do with their life. And we're here today to talk ADHD, your strengths, your symptoms, your workarounds, and how you proudly stand out instead of trying to fit in. I credit my ADHD for some of my greatest gifts. And you know what? I spy a happier life for you, too. So without further ado, a shiny new episode is starting now. Hello, I am Tracy Otsuka, and I wanted to welcome you to episode 85 of ADHD for Smartass Women. In this episode, I am going to introduce you to entrepreneur Helena Hills. Helena is the mother of two little boys, Leo and baby Arthur. A triathlete, she co-founded True Start Coffee with her husband, Simon. True Start is a feel-good coffee company that's all about positivity and putting people first. It's an ethical British family business that is one of the fastest-growing young drink brands in the UK. True Start has won a host of impressive awards, retails in over a 1,000 UK outlets, and is exported to several international markets as well. Helena is a multi-award-winning entrepreneur with a reputation for her infectious passion, energy for life, and drive to make change in the world by making people feel good. Helena, did I get all that right? Yeah, thanks. <laughs> that, that was awesome. <laughs> well, welcome, Helena. So I want to share with our listeners how we met. Helena sent me an email, and she told me that our podcast here, What You're Listening To, changed her life. Now, I get a lot of emails, direct messages, and audio messages from women, but there was something about yours that really stuck out. And I think what it was, Helena, was your comment that you had literally started a business that was your treatment, and you didn't even realize that you had done this. Now, for our listeners who don't know, caffeine is actually a stimulant. So it stimulates the body's central nervous system, and it boosts the brain's production of dopamine, which helps many of us focus and maintain concentration. Sadly, it doesn't work for me, but it makes so much sense because stimulant medication doesn't work either. Well, what I should say is caffeine doesn't work for me in that it makes me so anxious and nervous. But obviously, it doesn't do that for you, does it? No, and you might be having too much. You might find it's the right amount of caffeine that actually works for you. So even decaf, Helena, bothers me. Oh, and really? As hypersensitive. I'm so hypersensitive. Yeah, Fair which enough. is such a bummer. I love coffee and I love tea, but I have to be really careful when I drink it. I want to talk more about your business in a bit. I want to hear all about it, especially, you know, just kind of how you ended up in this business. But what I want to talk about first is I want people to get to know you a little better. So I want to talk about the circumstances surrounding your diagnoses. Do you mind? No, not at all. So I've, I've spoken to my parents about this because it was actually a really long time ago. I was diagnosed age seven. So after my primary school referred my parents to a behavioral psychologist. So apparently the teacher's just could not get me to sit still in class. I'm pretty sure that my dad is sparing me some of the gory details there, to be honest. <laughs> um, I was also at the same time found to have a high IQ. So I was consistently inconsistent with my grades, which were always like either really excellent or really crap, even like within the same subject area, pretty much based on whether or not 
I was interested. <laughs> and I think that was hard for teachers uh, to understand as well. Were you oppositional or defiant? Not oppositional necessarily, but I have definitely always had a problem with authority, as my dad used to say a lot <laughs> when I was younger, um, or even now, to be honest. <laughs> so you would speak back to the teachers then? If they told you what to do and you didn't understand and it didn't make sense to you, you would just talk right back to them? Yeah, or if I just completely disagreed, I would make sure they knew that. <laughs> so I wasn't purely oppositional, but I was like really opinionated, still am. <laughs> well, and I don't know if the UK is like the United States, but uh, little opinionated girls, yeah. Yeah, no. <laughs> it doesn't go down right. well. <laughs> they don't like us, do they? No. <laughs> so you were seven years old. Your parents took you to a psychologist because the teachers were having problems controlling you. <laughs> exactly. Did they try to put you on medication or what happened? Yeah, they did. So it may like... <sighs> They did try to put me on medication, but my dad says that I never took it uh, at all, like just refused point blank. So I never had it. And then the other thing that they recommended was a bunch of stuff that I couldn't eat. Like even like bananas were on the list, I remember, and raisins and then obvious stuff with artificial flavors and colors or whatever. Yeah, it wasn't much, really. And there's this fundamental misunderstanding back then, the ADHD. I think this is still a misunderstanding. ADHD is a behavioral issue rather than a neurobiological brain difference. And it made my childhood sort of teen years really difficult. Like I was a constantly frustrated child and teenager. And I just constantly felt misunderstood. And like, maybe I was just bad. I remember having a lot of white hot rage outbursts that I couldn't control. I didn't understand them. And I remember regularly thinking like, how can anybody love someone as annoying as me? <laughs> Even though in my heart of hearts, like I knew that I was very loved. But I remember teachers regularly being like really exasperated with me. And my favorite memories being younger are all either like outdoorsy ones so going camping, which we did as a family a lot, or learning to sail or cycling around this island in Scotland on one holiday, I remember really well, or to do with like creating and crafting. And my mum is really, really creative. We used to do loads of things like make paper from scratch and make them into Christmas cards and stuff. And that stuff always made me feel really calm. And it still does. But this stuff is not how a school is set up. And 30 years ago, Obviously, very little was known about ADHD. And fundamentally, the belief was that it was a behavioral disorder that things like diet could fix. And I'm just so desperate to be part of changing that understanding and educating people on neurodiversity, because otherwise, just kids and adults that fall outside of the sort of typical neurological brain function spectrum are going to keep inherently believing there's something wrong with them and that life will continue to be difficult and that just makes me so sad to think of people in like suffering through the wrong environment for them just because their amazing brains are misunderstood does that make sense I'm sure it makes sense to you <laughs> you know they we believe that it's a character failing it's a moral failing and yeah. it's ridiculous said, no, it's just a different brain with a different operating system. Yeah, 100%. It was really interesting, actually. I told my dad that I was doing this podcast and I said, can you tell me what you would say if somebody said to you, what is ADHD? And he said, what, then or now? And I said, both. And he said, then when I was diagnosed, if somebody asked him, what is ADHD? Which he had never, never heard of. That shows you how little people knew back then. He said that he would have said it's a behavioral disorder and your brain just says, no, can't sort of behave normally. And I said, what would you say if they asked you now? And say, now I'd say it's to do with chemical imbalance. It is not behavioral at all. And it's one variant of many brain types we as humans have. Like, you know, that it's just, there's a big difference, isn't there? Absolutely. What about social problems? Was that an issue with you? Like among your girlfriends and, you know, other guy friends in school? 
I always had friends. So I never had like issues with like making friends. Uh, I was probably like a really annoying friend, (laughs) but I did have friends. I didn't have severe social issues, even though I do remember constantly feeling like an outlier, if that makes sense. Did you have a best friend? Yeah. And she think she has ADHD? No, (laughs) (laughs) definitely not. Still close to her. But no, interestingly not. Yeah, well, sometimes, you know, when I ask, oh, do you have a best friend? Oh, yeah, and we're still best friends, and she's just like me. And I'm like, go figure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Funnily enough, my my best friend as an adult, you know, she's like the opposite of ADHD. And (laughs) but we're just, you know, absolute best friends for life. So what were the subjects that you really loved in school that you performed so well in? Oh, languages. So I was big on languages, French and Spanish and English, actually, like English language, English literature. I've always been a big communicator, probably because I've been so like into communicating my own opinions. <laughs> um, so yeah, I was really into languages and did really well in languages. And then as I got a little older, so, you know, teenager, business and economics. And at university, those are the areas that I, uh, you guys say majored in, don't you? <laughs> so I did international business with Spanish university. Oh, isn't that so interesting? And you were basically born like that, right? With those gifts. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Okay, so you went to university then? Yeah, I did. How did you do that first year? So badly in year one. I mean, (laughs) at university, honestly, I was just pretty hedonistic. Like I'm pretty pessimistic about what? No, not pessimistic, hedonistic. (laughs) Oh, okay. Lots of sensation-seeking behavior, (laughs) high stimulation stuff. I mean, part of my degree actually was going to South America, which was amazing. And I just treated it like one big party, to be honest. I came out with a great degree, but would just always cram last minute. Like work was not the top priority for me at all. So was it the relationships and the experiences and, you know, anything that was new or different? Was that what you were attracted to? Yeah, 100%. Like, when I went to South America, I literally went to, like, every corner of South America and just saw everything and did everything and met as many people as possible. And that's definitely who I am. And I just wanted to see the world and do stuff and do more and and experience everything. And that's, I've always been a bit like that. And so you were at this point, hadn't tried meds because you refused to take them. You were just kind of like, oh, I've got ADHD, but I'm not going to deal with it. Was that sort of how you handled it? So I remember taking Ritalin a handful of times as a teenager. And the first time it seemed to have like a positive effect. But after that, just really bad effects like anxiety. I even remember like shaking and sweating and it just didn't help my brain (laughs) at all. So, I mean, my journey with ADHD has been a really an upside down kind of, kind of journey. So I was diagnosed as a child, but as I said, I wrongly kind of believed that it was a behavioral problem and it was the reason that I was naughty or defective or just generally an idiot. And like, why couldn't I just behave? And, um, I've always struggled with a sort of negative self-concept, rumination and trying to work life out generally. Like, why are my thoughts and actions so different from other people's? I thought that my feelings must be the same for everyone, but maybe I just can't handle them as well. So Ah. I developed this sort of complex. Like, so even now in my adult life, I figured that other people, like my husband, Simon, for example, must have the same internal turmoil. But when I ask them, you know, I ask them what's wrong or what are they thinking? Like they say that they aren't thinking about anything or that they're fine, you know? So I developed this complex that I was being lied to. And I I decided that I must be the cause of all these people I care about's problems because they're not telling me the truth about it. It's really strange. And it turns out it's obviously not how everyone feels. And I'm amazed to find that neurotypical people are actually having a totally different everyday experience of life. 
they just don't have to work so bloody hard to get their mood and motivation and stuff into a normal range. It just happens. So I remember my mum would like periodically discover things that might help me as a child, but I just pushed back literally on everything. So for example, I remember her buying me ginkgo biloba. Is that how you say it? And I just thought like, oh, whatever. (laughs) Cause I was just being difficult, you know, and she was always trying to help me. And I have to be honest and say I'm actually quite wrecked with guilt about how difficult I was. And I know that trying to manage and understand my ADHD was really, really tough for my parents because so little was known about it. And I know it was confusing as well. I used to do ballet several times a week to a really high level. And people always used to think it was really weird that I could be so focused and calm on stage and the total opposite the rest of the time. Um, But obviously, we know how important exercise is for our brains, don't we? And I remember hearing on one of your podcasts that it only takes one adult to believe in you for ADHD kids, you know, to thrive. And whilst I made it, made life definitely did make life difficult for my parents and also my lovely brother, they definitely also, (laughs) they definitely like always believed in me and I feel really lucky to, to have them. And I remember they would say sometimes, they were probably just waiting it out sometimes and they would say how I just needed to find something that I loved to be able to harness my energy and channel it into something great. So it turns out they were right. (laughs) But they just inherently understood that stuff. There was no Google, was there? I I, I love them so much. They're so great. And I know that this guilt is kind of futile that I feel, but, and it's not my fault. (laughs) Um, But you kind of can't help it. The guilt remains. And I just always want them to know now how much I care. And I don't know, it's, it's a weird thing. As a adult, I kind of decided, right, my ADHD was the reason I was a difficult child and not anything else. And I basically never even considered it to be part of my life from university onwards. So if I ever referred to it, which would be really, really rare, it would be like, it'd be in the past tense. Oh, I had this when I was a kid. You know, I've mentioned that to Simon maybe a couple of times in the 10, 11 years we've been together. Because with my total misunderstanding of what ADHD actually is, in my head, it was never an excuse to not maximize your potential. So I didn't use it as one. I just ignored it, never learned anything about it. And obviously, as you know, I've got a great company. And like many of the amazing women in your community, I'm known for being like super passionate and energetic and all over the place and and many things. But in more recent years, I've been struggling to a really extreme level with negative self-concept and RSD, as well as sort of managing all my other symptoms. And I just considered those to be personality traits, right? So Simon, that's the problem, right? No one ever told you that emotion is part of ADHD. No, and it's the biggest thing. Like, so Simon and I started our business about five years ago, and the associated stresses with doing that correlate with me becoming more and more symptomatic. And interestingly, this actually led to both of us three years ago having a realization that our relationship with alcohol was getting more and more unhealthy so we went from being the heaviest drinkers in our group of friends like proper last man standing stuff (laughs) to going completely teetotal overnight because we don't have like Simon is actually the same in a lot of ways he shares a lot of ADHD traits on a much more mild level as well as being much more level-headed so we basically went from being quite heavy drinkers to overnight, we went totally sober. That was over three years ago and we haven't looked back. I love life a lot more being sober, just to be really, really clear. It has been an amazing decision. But in the past two years, I've obviously had, sorry. (laughs) And I was, what I'm trying to get to is, um, is like basically the story of how I came back to realizing about the ADHD. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you want me to carry on about that. I was going to say about the babies. <laughs> Sorry. So, Helena, I have to ask you a question. You know, I've never had a guest talk about ballet. And I'm curious, what years were you doing that? Because I have a similar experience where 
probably for, I don't know, seven to eight years, I danced ballet sometimes six days a week. And I am saying it kept my symptoms pretty much in check. And it wasn't until I quit ballet that I think everything started to fall apart. And so I'm wondering what your story is. And is that why then you took up running? Interesting question. So I did ballet from day dot. I think I was like three or four when I started. And yeah, like you, five, six days a week sometimes. I did it a lot. I stopped maybe at the age of 16 and kind of made this. There was there was a period as a teenager where I was like, oh, maybe I'll become a professional ballerina because, you know, I was good at it. But I decided it was totally not for me, like way too much discipline required. <laughs> and I just lost total interest after that. When I went to university, I wasn't doing any sport or anything like that. I was probably missing an outlet there. And I actually didn't start triathlon or running until I met Simon, who had been doing triathlon for like a few years. And I just got bored of watching him do triathlons <laughs> and started to get involved. And yeah, and I think that actually really helped as well with symptoms. What kicked things off again for me, I think, was obviously starting the business. And then I've had two babies in the past two years. And that's had a massive impact on my hormones and obviously my environment. Like babies require a lot more input and they're going to put out a lot more stimulation. So a couple of months ago after RSD, basically an outburst, I had a very strange out of the blue realization that ADHD might have something to answer for in some of these outbursts and just the general weird and wonderful brain sort of functioning stuff that I have on a daily basis. So I started to look it up have having literally ignored the fact that I was diagnosed with ADHD as a child for my entire adult life and I just quickly found your podcast and genuinely I just instantly connected with your like obsessively positive energy (laughs) it's just me all over and I had no idea that RSD even existed till I found it and learning about it and understanding it has made me feel like I've been freed from like a prison a mental prison it really has So I've since just been learning loads. Let me stop you for one second, Helena, just because I'm afraid that there are people who are hearing RSD and they don't know what we're talking about. So RSD stands for Rejection Sensitive Dysphoria. It is the debilitating fear of rejection that sometimes is present with ADHD. Now, I have to tell you that most ADHD experts do believe in RSD even though it is not in the DSM, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. You know, it's where mental health professionals go to diagnose anything, including ADHD. Okay, so continue. I'm sorry. I would just, what I'm worried about is lots of times in our group, someone will throw out RSD and, you know, there'll be people who are, women who are piping up saying, wait, what's RSD? What's RSD? Like they've never heard of it. Yeah. Once they do, it's that, it's literally that piece that makes them go, okay, it's ADHD. Yeah, totally. It is crazy. I find it really interesting that it is only known to coexist with ADHD. So found out about it, obviously, thanks to you. Cue hyperfocus completely. I just started to listen to more and more of your podcasts and research like absolute crazy. And the neuroscience behind ADHD, I was just finding, it just explains absolutely everything about how my brain works. No surprise, bearing in mind I was literally diagnosed with it, but I had ignored it for 30 years. So I now know that ADHD is a neurological, biological brain difference, and it's just mind-blowingly fascinating. So since then, I feel like I've started to understand myself. Started. My God, it's so big and so complex, though. I'm becoming more aware of triggers for negative symptoms. I'm more aware of the way my brain works. I'm more aware of how to manage my dopamine levels. And also I know that my superpowers are thanks to my ADHD. So that's exciting. And I love terminology like neurodiversity. I feel like my life just makes a lot more sense. Um, But I'm still learning. And I think I literally always will be. But I'm seeing neurodiversity in other people just all over the place. And I really feel I've got a completely new perspective and appreciation for humans and how awesome like, you know, how unique we all are. Well, and these differences and how we need them and how, you know, the fact that we have these ADHD brains, I mean, it means that we're ideation machines, right? We are so creative. 
And so it's all of the stimuli coming into our, you know, our brains. It makes sense that at some point it's overwhelming. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I get major ag- agitation um, that is, or even rage sometimes that is sparked by overstimulation as well. That's one of my big symptoms along with RSD. And it can happen when I'm like focusing on something and I, I need to have zero stimulation around me. You made me laugh today when you were like, absolutely not are we doing video and audio there's no way I can focus on both those things and I was like phew (laughs) and I'm the same like if I'm focusing on something I need to have no other stimulation otherwise my focus will divert and it's really hard to like rip it off that thing and back to the original thing and I can really explode at that feeling of overstimulation sometimes and actually it does scare me it can be it can be quite intense but ever since I basically had this realization a couple of months ago, I felt a lot calmer. My husband has been incredibly supportive. He also feels relieved. <laughs> this podcast is a little bit nerve wracking because I, until now I've not told anyone publicly and I wasn't sure how to. I knew I kind of, I knew I definitely wanted to, but doing it justice was really worrying me. So my parents have been great, but they're obviously not surprised. They're like, yeah, you've got ADHD, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> but I'm just I'm having all these sort of epiphanies like I'm, I've got all these lists of my symptoms and my traits that have been you know responsible for the success of True Start and it's just crazy yeah how it all connects right yeah I mean people say all the time well you know what am I supposed to do what am I supposed to do well you know you have an internal rudder that literally tells you what to do next. If you just pay attention to how you feel and keep going forward, because you cannot know what to do looking straight out ahead, but you will see it all come together when you turn behind and you look at where you've been. And I think that that whole ADHD puzzle is just a beautiful example of that, how all of these things that have happened, how they all fit together and they make sense. Yeah, absolutely. I think you need to have the right environment, though. You need people around you that actually support you on that journey. And like one of my traits as a human and definitely related to my ADHD is that I'm hugely positive most of the time. I'm like all about optimism and energy and vibes. And actually, there is a really significant reason for that. It's because I literally cannot get anything done without it. So without positive emotion and like negative energy, just negative vibes in general, literally knock me for six. They suck the life out of me and they actually make me incapable of thinking clearly. And I think of it like this. I've got crazy levels of mental and physical energy all the time. And when this is mixed with positive emotion, I can channel it and I can literally take on the world. That is how I feel. My mind feels totally wide open and absolutely unstoppable. But if my massive physical and mental energy levels are mixed with negative emotion and negative stimulus, all that energy literally turns on me and goes internal. And it really feels like I'm ferociously attacking myself. That's how I feel. And that is why environment is so important because this brain fog just descends and you can't, you can't listen to your rudder and you can't make sense of life. Yeah. Well, it's that intensity, which is very ADHD. So it makes sense, right? If you're going to go and focus on things that bring you positive emotion, you're going to feel more positive emotion. And that in turn is what's going to motivate you. And it just kind of builds on itself versus negative emotion. You put that amount of intensity into negative emotion. Just imagine the damage, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And the damage can be really significant. It's not just you and me though. That is true for all ADHD brains. We need positive emotion to move our lives forward in a positive way. And if there's negative emotion, if out of criticism, you know, like, oh, I always feel so horrible for children, you know, who grew up with ADHD, nobody knew, and everybody's criticizing them, making it all a moral and character flaw. Yeah. That is really difficult to overcome. But you are absolutely right. It is all about positive emotion. And I don't know about you, but 
I remember <laughs> friends literally getting upset at me because, oh my God, you are just a make lemonade out of lemons person and it's irritating. But it was the only way how to be. Yeah, it's funny. I actually have this really strange memory of before I started the business and I uh, had a normal job <laughs> and somebody was having a just a proper moan about somebody in the office. And I can't remember what I said, but I was just very like, just don't worry about it. Just be cool. Just be <laughs> like, <laughs> and it was something along those lines. And she just looked at me as if I was completely mental and went, why are you so positive all the time? <laughs> and like, if I, like, I didn't say this back, obviously, but it's now I realize, because if I, if I'm not, if I'm negative, then my God, it, I'll self-destruct. Yes. Yes. Okay. So I love that. Tell <laughs> me about the business. How did it start? Oh my God. It's so the, the most strange thing about this whole thing is that I've realized that True Start is literally my treatment. I just didn't know. Like, True Start is known as the feel-good coffee company, right? We exist. We have created it to spread positive energy because, as I said, if I feel crap, I can't get anything done whatsoever. And I literally use True Start as a vehicle to give myself, but also everyone else in the whole world, everyone that I can touch, a massive positive dopamine kick. And um, it actually started because rewind five or six years, Simon and I were in ordinary jobs and busy jobs. We were training for a like big triathlon event and Ironman triathlon. And we were drinking loads of coffee. Like we were up really early a lot and just living at a million miles an hour. We've always done that. We we're drinking loads and loads of coffee, but it turns out that I am quite sensitive to caffeine, which I know sounds weird, <laughs> but I was really noticing that sometimes I would feel like, um, well, I'd feel great sometimes after a cup of coffee. That's why I was drinking it. But other times I feel like, massive heart palpitations and just really like I've overdosed on caffeine <laughs> and then other times I felt like I needed sort of five cups of coffee to even get going and I just started reading a bit about it because I was into triathlon I was into sort of the nutrition side of things so I was reading about caffeine and sport specifically and I found out that the caffeine level in a cup of coffee varies a completely insane amount. Like you could be having 30 milligrams in one cup of coffee, you could be having 600 in another, and I'm not exaggerating. Wow. That is just crazy. It's the same as having like a quarter of an energy drink or six energy drinks in one sitting. And it's like going into a supermarket and not knowing how strong all the alcohol is, and it's just potluck. Oh, geez. And, and that's, that's pretty much what coffee is because there's so many variables that affect caffeine levels. And I was mind blown by this and actually completely hyper-focused on the whole thing and found out bloody everything there is to know about coffee and caffeine. And I was like, surely we are not the only people in the world who think a reliably caffeinated coffee that makes you feel awesome every time would be great. Initially, we were thinking for sort of sport and fitness and health because that's the mindset we're in but honestly just for like your executive function <laughs> and um just for your day-to-day -day, long story short we developed and launched the first coffee that actually is like super clean and it actually has a consistent level of caffeine so you know where you are you know you're going to feel good every time and then three years ago we had the idea after we stopped drinking alcohol to launch our drinks so to launch a range of like really really clean ready to drink like you know cans of drink that have no rubbish in them like you know almost like a really healthy energy drink I suppose and here we are I don't I <laughs> it's it's just been crazy to to think that this vehicle for making people feel good is really just from my own need to feel good it's really it's really strange you created your own stimulant medication yeah <laughs> completely it's really bizarre it sounds so cheesy but like I do genuinely believe I was put on this earth to 
spread positive energy and make other people feel good about themselves. I really do. Well, I bet you have a lot of ADHD clients. <laughs> I, I imagine we do, yeah. <laughs> Lots of people. I remember that day one of True Start was Simon and I in a field with about 20 people that were running like a really small, rubbish little 10-kilometer race. And it was just like a non there was hardly anything there at all, just 20 people that were running. And we had like a boom box and we were bringing all the vibes and it was our first ever event. And we were handing out little shots of True Start and we were like, just so ridiculously energy, like more energy than 20 people needed for sure. <laughs> but we were like, have an amazing race, like have this, you're going to feel great. And that day was my first experience of seeing the direct impact of making people feel just good about themselves they were coming back massive smiles on their faces they're like I've got a personal best like they just it was the start of us building like an insane community around the brand and because I'm like ridiculously empathetic as a person like paralyzingly so sometimes but it does mean that I genuinely care so much about our customers. I know so many of them by name. It is ridiculous. And that plays into the success of TrueStar, obviously, because I do just care so much. Yeah. So, Helena, what do you love about your job? Like, what are the best parts of your day? Oh, that is a big question. Honestly, just seeing impact and momentum we have an amazing team and I love seeing them buzzing so we have our own coffee shop that is sort of situated within one of these funky startup co-working spaces with lots of other businesses and we operate the coffee shop within that as well as have our team base you know our HQ base from there as well so every day we have the team interacting with the brand but also loads and loads of other people as well and I just love the feeling of people engaging with Truestar in any way at all and feeling awesome and feeling like they are set up to go and smash whatever it is that they are going to do that day you know that's my favorite day-to-day but fundamentally I have a really strongly held belief that anything is possible and that the status quo is there to be challenged. (laughs) So the idea of taking on industry giants, like we're fundamentally up against Nestle, right? We're up against (laughs) companies like Nescafe at the end of the day, because we want to create this amazing coffee master brand that makes people feel awesome. And those are the guys that dominate this industry really. And actually the idea of taking them on fills me with a really like excited, powerful feeling on a daily basis. It doesn't scare me at all. Like it can be kind of hard to communicate it to people because I do often find, to be honest, there are no words for my feelings in general, like good or bad, (laughs) but people are always asking, what are your ambitions for true start? And their brains automatically go to are you trying to grow this and sell it for truckloads of cash and that's where people's brains automatically go and I'm literally there like am I trying to build another massive corporation (laughs) because the answer is no because I genuinely could not think of anything more boring if my interest was money, I would have stayed in software, which is what I did before TrueStart. And my ambition for TrueStart is huge. It is absolutely huge on a global scale, which kind of confuses people because they seem to be saying that, oh, yeah, I want to build a massive corporation. But it's not that. I want to build a gigantic, impactful movement for one simple reason that I want to make as many people as possible feel awesome about who they are so they can challenge the status quo themselves and find their own happiness in this world. Like, I believe that that is a positive force for humanity, right? We need to feel good. And we've never had more as humans, but we've never been more miserable. (laughs) 
I really think that. And I just want to prove that you can impact massive change. It's not bloody easy, don't get me wrong, but I really believe that you can do it. Oh my gosh, what I love in your voice You're so inspiring, first of all, but you have this ADHD entrepreneurial complete lack of any fear. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. (laughs) I love it. Okay. So that's what you love. What are the things that you don't like so much that you have to do? Oh my God. Just anything mundane. (laughs) Like day to day. So I have zero patience for bullshit as well in small talk I just find it inauthentic so and sometimes that's a bit of a problem in the coffee shop because I feel like I need to be really nice and say hello to everybody (laughs) and sometimes I just want to tell everyone to go away in the nicest possible way (laughs) I also have a severe allergic reaction to incompetence (laughs) like I've got no tolerance for it and Annoyingly, this is intolerance by my own judgment, and my own judgment is really, really harsh. <laughs> so sometimes I imagine that's very hard for people around me. And luckily, my husband is a stabilizing kind of force. I've just got no patience at all. So I'm really, really impulsive, and I want everything to be done yesterday. So my husband's amazing at taking a step back and sanity checking things you know, that we want to do, whether it's true start or our personal lives. And he makes like an informed choice (laughs) with the momentum that I provide, but I can't watch it. I just, I'm just like, just do it. (laughs) So whether it's to him and the team and, um, and that's the stuff, you know, the impatience. I really struggle with that. Actually. He jokes that when we have a board meeting or something that we do a duo where I'm a bit nuts and he's a bit sensible that's actually the words that he used and it's not even an act it's literally just how we are (laughs) so I'm very visionary and I can see the journey of how to get where we're going uh, most of the time when I don't have brain fog but I struggle with the consistency to actually do it which is what Simon is great at and also so are our team Yeah. So it's a great combination, basically. You can't have both of you, right? But you also can't have two of Simon. It's it's a good balance. A hundred percent. Like people quite often ask how, how on earth we, you know, we're married and do the business together and because we're in each other's pockets all the time. And I say it's because we've got really complementary sort of like skill sets and approaches. uh, So we don't clash much. (laughs) So how do you balance all this with two babies now so <laughs> you know <I'm> not sure <laughs> so we do I, I think I said earlier we live life at a million miles an hour <laughs> but we have learned over the past five years that we need to take time out to purposefully slow down or we really do burn out significantly both of us and that has happened a number of times but Interestingly, having our babies has actually helped us do it, I think. We have mini kind of slowdowns pretty much every day now because we're playing with them and we never, ever slowed down ever before they were born. And I think we've both been kind of surprised by just how much we actually love being parents, even though it's exhausting, obviously. But I find the boys really soothing and they bring me so much joy every day. And I just want to make sure that actually that I remember that the playfulness of life with babies needs to actually remain to some degree as they grow older, because I really think play and fun and joy is so important for adults as well. And it's easy when you've got a baby in front of you, because what can you do apart from play with them? So it's something that's important to me that we keep focusing on fun just as a family. Are they actually at the company with you during the day? Arthur is because he is seven months old. So he's just like strapped to us all the time. And Leo is in nursery three days a week. But I remember when we were fitting out the coffee shop, Leo was strapped to one of our fronts the whole time. Like they are fully involved, put it that way. And lockdown's been interesting. Because 
<laughs> oh my god we've been locked down in our city center flat with obviously two babies and no garden which has been bloody hard actually and we live 86 steps away from the door to our office so everything is all very close together but obviously with lockdown we've had no childcare, nothing and we've had more work than ever to do on the business so the last few months has been like the opposite of balanced <laughs> it's just been all in on everything and that's probably it's probably what brought things to a head and made me realize you know that I am an adult living with ADHD as opposed to just there's something wrong with me. Yeah. Yeah. So I can totally relate to the whole kid thing. I just felt like before kids, I was so driven and so ambitious and never could slow down. And they almost gave me an excuse to kind of let some of that go. Yeah. And it just, yes, your whole life just seems more balanced. And then they become the focal point and the reason why you're doing, you know, everything you're doing. Yeah. At least for me, that was the case. So what do you think, Helena, the key is to living successfully with ADHD? Oh, well, firstly, knowing that you actually have it. So (laughs) (laughs) it sounds ridiculous, but it's true, right? And I'm kind of a living example of the fact that you can have a diagnosis and still not actually twig that you've got it, which just seems crazy now. But, you know, I was diagnosed age seven, thought it was just a behavioral issue, ignored it for the next 25 years. And now I realize, wow, I have ADHD. So I've learned a lot about it. And I've still got even more than that to learn. But what that's shown me is that you can actually start to understand it and give yourself a break. When I said I feel like I've been freed from a mental prison, before this realization a couple of months ago, I am not exaggerating when I say that I was continually my brain was 24 7 trying to work out what was wrong with me that is exhausting it is excruciatingly exhausting so firstly knowing you have it <laughs> is the answer to your question but there's another couple of points and having an unwavering support network of people who really love and support you 100 percent for who you are rather than wanting to or thinking that they can fix you that's important. Like, I think I'm an exhausting daughter, wife, friend, boss. (laughs) And I'll probably be an exhausting mother once the boys are old enough to be exhausted by me rather than just the other way around. But I do bring a lot to the party as well. Like I'm excitable, playful, caring, like very loyal and enthusiastic. And this support network of people that love all those things about you, that's so important. And also equally important is having the ability to adapt your physical environment to what actually works for you and your brain and being able to try different things, which requires point one and two, right? It requires knowing you have it and it requires having people around you who support you in making those changes. I've been thinking about it as this equation that there are two sides to So one is about stimulating dopamine, which is what a lot of people focus on when they talk about ADHD because they're talking about stimulants, whether it's drugs or whatever, serotonin production. But the other one is actually about reducing stress, isn't it? And lowering your cortisol levels and activating parasympathetic nervous system, all that kind of thing. And I I kind of feel like it's a bit of a vicious cycle for people with ADHD because our dopamine is reduced, obviously, which means the body is constantly in a stress mode like seeking dopamine, which keeps cortisol and adrenaline levels high. And that interferes with the entire hormonal system and causes so many problems. Do you know what? I'm going to go off on a little bit of a tangent, but I think it's worth it. I've realized that basically it's not a coincidence at all that people with ADHD have got comorbidities that are ultimately linked to stress right? Especially women, as you said earlier, because we've got way more complex and changing hormonal levels anyway, compared to men. But I have- And we internalize, right? We internalize, they internalize. So we turn it on ourselves. Totally. That's exactly what I do. I've been like internally attacking myself for years. So I have endometriosis, right? And I would never- ever in a million years could you have even paid me to link that to my ADHD 
I mean, they just seem completely disassociated, right? But lo and behold, I found a study that was published by the American Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology that found that women with endometriosis have a high degree of psychiatric comorbidity that includes ADHD because at a very fundamental level, endo is a chronic inflammatory condition that is exacerbated by stress hormones. So when our body is under stress, obviously produces more cortisol. And over time, producing more cortisol can hurt our immune system and its ability to function. And that obviously explains why people generally, you can get a cold when you're like stressed more easily, can't you? You know, catch just a normal cold. But stress increases inflammation in our bodies and inflammation plays a huge role in loads of diseases like endometriosis. So more inflammation, more disease, more pain as well. And obviously, we know there are a lot of clinical studies that show that adults with ADHD often report, especially women, much higher levels of musculoskeletal pain and general physical discomfort as well. And it's all just so interlinked that it just blows my mind. And I'm obsessed with learning about it now. But what I'm trying to say, back to your point about what, (laughs) how do you live successfully with ADHD? I mean, I don't know. But I do think that reducing stress is so critical, whatever that means for you. Positive emotion. Well, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we feel it, right? We know when we do something and it makes us feel good. It makes us feel positive emotion, right? Yeah. So we need to do more of that. And then the things that make us not feel good and give us negative emotion, we need to do less of those things. So yes, this is true, isn't it? The very first podcast of yours that I listened to actually, where you talk about how you used to think back to when your babies were little and how you were so happy then and you're never going to get back there and then you realize the reason you were so happy is because you did loads of outdoorsy stuff and you're always like (laughs) was it gardening and things like that and that's that's so true isn't it like we forget to focus on what brings us joy We, we actually forget and we get caught up in the rubbish that society makes you think you should be doing yeah. Yeah. It's it's mad. Totally. Okay. Helena, what are the ADHD traits that you feel are responsible for your success? Why are you so good at what you do? Okay. I am very <laughs> excitable <laughs> and I'm extremely oh. like, passionate on a completely different level. <laughs> so it makes me a great and genuine salesperson because I obviously can't wait to spread the word about something that I love. And my friends have like a running joke that I can sell anything to anyone, but I'm like, that is not true. I can sell things that I love to people who I know will love them because I can passionately communicate and I do that all the time, but also I can read energy very, very well. Actually, too well sometimes. So for example, I usually know when something is up with my husband before he does and I'm like prodding him to find out what it is and he's like what are you on about (laughs) and then like a week later he realizes you know he's about to burn out or something but I can see it coming a mile off so that Mm -hmm. ability to read people and be super super passionate I mean a hundred percent is partially responsible (laughs) the ridiculous amount of positive positive vibes as well that I generally have that's basically why true start exists I'm extremely driven, which I now know is a manifestation of hyperactivity. And I've always been massively entrepreneurial from when I was younger, asking my dad for a 50 pound loan to start selling jewelry. And like, I've always done things like that. To Simon and I, we, before True Start, we did a bit of a side hustle when we had our jobs. Um, making luxury cat furniture which is hilarious and then um and it did really well it was what bought us our house you know and then to creating true start which is what you know true start is just absolutely a reflection of who we are I mentioned earlier that I'm extremely caring and empathetic and that brings me really really close to our customers 
and is definitely largely responsible for that. I have an obsession with people being happy with their engagement with True Start, whether it is through drinking a True Start or seeing us at an event or speaking to us on Instagram or something. I want people to absolutely get joy from doing that. And I'm obsessive about it. I'm also massively wired for interest, right? So everything... I, I'm really interested in True Star, obviously. So I'm absolutely all in on it. I'm not hedging or anything like that. And that definitely plays into the success of it because it, it gets all of our energy. Equally, by the way, I can be very, very dismissive of things that I don't care about. <laughs> Although that generally doesn't apply if it's something that's emotionally impacting somebody that I care about. So in that situation, I always just want to fix, fix, how can I help this situation? Um, And my brain is really good at making connections between pieces of information that can be completely on the surface, unrelated. So I love root cause analysis. My mum is actually totally exceptional at this. Uh, She's a really creative thinker, which it makes her a really good diagnostician and she's an ideas person and a momentum like creator is actually pretty unbelievable. The amount of volume of information <laughs> that's actually in her brain and she can refer to it and utilize it creatively at any time. And I have that trait as well. And without an ADHD diagnosis or, you know, pre my realization, you're left wondering why you're so good at remembering that information but so awful at remembering why you walked into a room or what you were in the middle of saying so something conversely you know something really positive could actually be the cause of a negative spiral especially if you have RSD and that is one of the reasons that a diagnosis can be so life-changing on a slight tangent (laughs) wow um I should also let our listeners know that what time is it there? Like 11 o'clock at yeah, night? Yeah, 10 past 11. Yeah. <laughs> You're in Bristol? Is yeah. That- yeah. My brain doesn't generally function in the evening. So I'm probably being more <laughs> rambly than normal. <laughs> Not at all. No. I mean, I just can't even imagine this level of energy at 11 in the morning versus oh my God. 11 at night. <laughs> okay. Last question, and then I'm going to let you go to sleep. What <laughs> Do you consider your number one ADHD workaround? Can I have more than one? You can have more than one. Give us something, yeah, really good that maybe some of our listeners have never heard of. Um, <laughs> Just go for it. Never heard of. Okay, so there's a really basic obvious one, which is getting outside into nature with my boys, being away from noise. It's not just nature for me. It's the quiet, tranquil setting. We are actually in the process of moving house to make this easier, which seems drastic, but I am telling you it is required, especially after lockdown in this place. (laughs) Removing myself from overstimulating environments when I feel myself getting agitated is really important. And it's hard to do that when you need a whole operation of collecting up the babies before you can even step outside. But a big one for me, and this has lasted since for, for a long time now, is The words one thing at a time repeat in my head when I'm in a positive place and I'm trying to make something happen, you know, whatever it is. These are actually Simon's words. He started to say them to me maybe a couple of years ago, but from a real place of kindness, you know, so I didn't feel attacked. I'm like one thing at a time, one thing at a time. And they do help so I can catch myself from getting distracted And I can actually prevent it from happening, I find, sometimes. It's similar to your podcast episode where you talk about actively realizing that you're about to go off on a tangent and catching yourself and asking yourself whether it's worth the 25%, I think you said, likelihood that it will bring value and make an active decision accordingly. It's such good advice. And it's the same thing almost. I remember sometimes one thing at a time, one thing at a time. And then if I find myself doing something, trying to do something else, I'm like, whoa, is that worth it? No, one thing at a time. So that's a big one for me. I mean, coffee works really well, obviously, which is no surprise because of the, you know, dopamine receptor 
stuff. I'm not going to go into that because there's a huge amount. It's a whole separate bloody podcast that is. <laughs> but music re- works really well for me. So Simon and I's Happy Place has always been exhausting ourselves with music and dancing. I say exhausting ourselves. Even since we stopped drinking alcohol, we are still at a festival. We will be the ones dancing until 7am to Deep House and our favourite DJs. And that's big for us, both of us. Recently, I started carrying around a tiny little bag with my essentials to stop me losing my phone and my keys and my wallet and just everything all of the time. So that's a good workaround. But the one last thing I probably wanted to mention is um, sleep. So I actually feel like I've got some got into some really good habits with sleep, which I've always struggled with. So I will I will share those in case they help somebody else. I've always struggled with sleep and restlessness generally. On sleep. Is your problem getting into bed or both? Or is it you get into bed and you can't sleep? Get into bed and can't sleep. Ah, okay. Yeah. Um, And and a bit of both. You know, I love being awake (laughs) and up and doing stuff. And so, yeah, it's hard to go to bed as well. So I put lavender essential oil on my pillow every single night, which I started when I was pregnant with Leo about two and a half years ago. I wear like a heavy-ish eye mask. And I listened to a meditational sleep story on calm and it has improved my sleep no end. I mean, I've got a, another baby, obviously, so I'm not exactly. Who came up with that phrase sleeping like a baby anyway for good sleep? What a load of rubbish. But <laughs> basically an important note. Oh, I've also bought a weighted blanket, which I massively recommend. So um, that really works. Unbelievable. The weighted blanket. Unbelievable. It doesn't make you feel like claustrophobic at all? at all. No, no, Mm. no. So it's really, really, really worked for me. But importantly, weighted blanket aside, none of those other things worked straight away. And this is really the nugget of information that I feel like I actually have. The first time, because I feel like our brains are wired to just try things and then throw them in the bin and, you know, start again with something else. And the first time I tried a sleep story on Calm, I literally hated it. It caused me to think even more. It was like stimulating. I just, I hated it. I was like, this is stupid and rubbish. So I started with the, they have like meditations on there as well, like guided meditations as well as sleep stories. So I decided to focus on meditations and I would be always awake when they ended for like days and days. I can't remember how long it took. There were 30 minute meditations and every night I'd still be awake, but I was like, I'm going to persevere because I was actually enjoying the meditations. And I now never make it to the end of a meditation or 99% of the time. What, you know, most of the time I don't make it to the end of meditation because I'm asleep. And now I also love the sleep stories. And what that has taught me is that actually it is possible to train your brain and practice with these things because you know like I hear people say that they've been to one yoga class and done one meditation and it didn't work for them and I'm like no that's not how yoga meditation works (laughs) so it's really important to recognize that you know like a lot of these it goes back to that cortisol reduction and adapting your life to to reduce cortisol a little bit all the time, they do take time and commitment as well. And unfortunately, the ADHD brain obviously doesn't have much patience for for that kind of thing. But I'm trying to incorporate them into my life by giving myself, this was probably the key, I give myself a break if I trip up. And I remember that actually all progress is not totally destroyed. I'm not back to square one. And that has given me the freedom of mind to continue with them. And it's been well worth it. I mean, Arthur aside, (laughs) I sleep really well now. (laughs) So you're talking about the Calm app that you can download on your phone and there's something in there called Story? Yeah, so the Calm app, I think there's quite a lot of different apps, but I have that one. And they have sleep stories, which is basically loads of different stories. I don't like fiction so I listen to the ones that are like going through the lavender fields in France or floating with the manatees in Florida (laughs) and just all these different it sounds ridiculous but 
you, you do, I like basically these sleep stories take me into nature. I've only realized that as I've been talking to you, <laughs> but all the ones I love are all nature orientated. And I just drift off into this lovely nature oasis and they've got loads to choose from. I don't go for any of the, there are actual like fiction stories on there, but those don't appeal to me. Huh. Okay. So we're going to put those in the show notes. I'm going to have to go check that out. So two separate apps. I know Calm. I didn't know that they have a sleep section there, but I will go look. And then Sleep Story is a separate no, app. No, no, Sleep that Story has... is, is a section on Calm. Uh, got it. Okay. Okay. I will look it up. I will post the links in the show notes. Oh, can, can I say one more thing? Can I say one more thing that I'm actually just looking into? So this was actually from your group. I am in, in a world of like trying to find workarounds. I'm looking into chiropractic neurology because I heard somebody mentioned it on your Facebook group. And I was like, well, that sounds interesting. I'm only mentioning this because I actually think other people will find it interesting. They have this underlying principle called subluxation. I, I spoke to a local chiropractor who specializes in neurology, which is awesome. And she says that this principle of subluxation is all about the misalignment of your vertebrae which happens through environmental stuff, you know, sitting at your computer all the time or whatever. Um, And it causes your body to flood with cortisol and inhibits the flow of dopamine, serotonin, norepinephrine, all the stuff that impacts your mood and your focus. And I'm like, oh my God, this sounds really interesting. So I'm going to look into that further. What I'm going to do first is commit to a month of trying to do yoga, just 10 minutes of yoga and also probiotics, which I've heard, you know, the gut flora and brain function thing is, a, is also important. So I'm going to try and be consistent with that before I then try chiropractic neurology. But I'm really interested in that as well. I think that could be, yeah, I buy into the principles of it anyway. You're going to have to let us know how that works yeah. for you. Okay, so where can people find you, Helena, if they want to know more about you? I suppose True Start Coffee's website, <laughs> um, which is truestartcoffee.com, um, or we're on Instagram at True Start Coffee and Facebook as well. Um, and I also have my own personal Helena Hills 58. But yeah, don't expect much more than a couple of pics of the babies every so often. I'm quite, I'm super not private when it comes to True Start, but then when it comes to anything outside of that, I just haven't got the energy to put it online. <laughs> so I'm, I'm very much there at the forefront with True Start. So you're probably best off engaging with the brand and that's where I'll be. Sounds good. Sounds good. Okay. So thank you so much. And this is what we have for you for this week. As always, you're listening to ADHD for Smartass Women. If you like this episode with Helena, please let us know by leaving us a review. Our goal is to change the conversation around ADHD, helping as many women as we possibly can learn how their ADHD brains work so that they too can discover their amazing strengths. One more thing, if you have a comment, a guest you'd like me to interview, or a topic idea for this podcast, you can go to my website at tracyoutsuka.com and leave me an audio message or reach out to me at tracy at tracyoutsuka.com. That's my email. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you here next week. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smartass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Outsuka, and we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Not coincidentally, ADHD for Smartass Women, it's also the name of our free Facebook group. We're a totally smartass community of successful, ambitious women who share our ADHD wins, questions, and workarounds. Join us at tracyoutsuka.com where you can also find more information on our Your ADHD Brain is A-OK system. I spy a happier life for us, and I'll see you again next week.